0: Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of See It Or Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters. Also, this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film that you were supposed to vote for. I'll get to more on that later. And Binge it or Synjit discusses one of this year's most Emmy nominated series. Let's get started. For our featured movies this week, Dracula terrorizes a ship in The Last Voyage of the Demeter, a couple takes an alternative route in family planning in the Pod Generation, and an alien crash lands in a bed of Azaleas, in Jules. First up, the crew on a ship battle more than just the elements when Dracula comes on board. This is the last voyage of the Demeter. In the night it drinks our blood. He is So he's that bloody thing. I'm going to kill the cursed thing. He is on this ship, which means that we will never leave it. The devil is real. May God have mercy on us all. Set in 1897, this film tells the story of just one chapter of Bram Stoker's classic novel, Dracula. The clipper ship, The Demeter is getting ready to depart Transylvania, heading to London. Captained by Elliot, played by Liam Cunningham, along with first mate Wojcik, played by David Dasmalchian, the captain's grandson Toby, played by Woody Norman, among others. The ship is in need of more crew when a cargo shipment is sent by an unknown sender. Newly recruited to the ship is Clemens, played by Corey Hawkins. Clemens attends as the ship's doctor in an effort to get a ride back to England, where he lives. Soon into the trip, one of the cargo boxes opens and it is discovered to be hiding a stowaway, played by Aisling Franciosi, who has a mysterious wound that requires blood transfusions. As the trip progresses, strange things begin to happen, including an incident where all of the livestock, as well as Toby's dog, are discovered to have been slaughtered odd noises and disturbances begin to happen as one by one crew members begin disappearing. When the stowaway wakes up, she states that her name is Anna and informs them that Nosferatu himself, played by Javier Botet, is on board and is coming for all of them. Can they work together to defeat this evil presence, or is he simply too powerful to overcome? When I saw the trailer for this, I thought it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... Shove it. This isn't a horrible movie, but it sure wasn't as engaging as I had hoped it would be. At just under two hours, there were moments that felt much longer than that. I did like the dark color scheme that contributed to the eerie atmosphere, and there were moments of sheer fright throughout. This is based on the seventh chapter of Dracula called The Captain's Log my understanding is that the chapter is about 15 pages long, and it has been stretched into a two-hour movie. I feared it may not sustain my interest for such a small portion of the book to be made into a full-length feature, and I was right for the most part. But again, it wasn't a complete waste of time. I just think it could have been tighter. The ending sets up for a sequel, which I can't imagine is going to be... Successful enough to warrant a sequel, plus that would make it stray from the original source material, I assume. Again, it's not doing well at the box office, so I don't think I have to worry about that happening. But it makes me wonder. If you're interested in the story, maybe catch this when it comes to streaming. Next, when a woman learns of an alternative way to grow a family, she decides to go all in. This is the pod generation. Women are reluctant to have children because it's not made convenient. We want them to pursue their careers and dreams. We can't live in the past. I want to have a child with you. Let's do it, Rachel. Really? Yeah. I'm sure you're all very excited. Parents are raving about it. It is the ultra solution. (laughs) My nephew was born at the womb center, but he doesn't dream. I wouldn't worry about it. I would worry about it. Starring Game of Thrones, Amelia Clark and Oscar-nominated actor, Chiwetel Ejiofor, the pod generation invites us into the marriage of Rachel and Alvi, two busy professionals living in the somewhat distant future. Alvi is a botanist who is passionate about teaching about nature and appreciating the natural world as the world around him is succumbing to technology with each passing day, while Rachel works at a tech company and is very busy. In this world, people are having babies via artificial wombs that carry the fetus in a technological pod. Being very busy with their careers, the couple decide to try this new but very expensive option after Rachel's work offers to help with the cost. They go to what is called the womb center, a place that provides the wealthy with detachable pods to nurture their fetuses. What follows is the couple's struggle with trying to adapt to this technology while grappling with the loss of traditional birthing ideals. Will they be able to come to terms with the choice they made? I give this film a... Shove it. The concept for this film is pretty interesting. The execution of it? Not so great. This film just slogged along and didn't really capture my attention. It felt like it was underwritten, and there was more that could have been added to hype up the tension and the stakes that the couple had. The final ten minutes of the film seemed incredibly rushed, and it kind of just ended without a lot of answers to the questions that the couple had faced. A lot of the choices they were making toward the end as their child was being born had consequences that were threatened upon them, but the film never addressed the outcome of that. It just kind of ended. So I don't know if that was a result of a bad script or bad editing or what, but I have some questions left over, and I don't like leaving the movie feeling like that. Clark and Egyo4 are normally very engaging actors, and Amelia Clark's smile just lights up the whole screen. But here they just seem to be doing it for the paycheck. This one's okay if you just skip it, you're not missing much. Next, an alien crash lands in an elderly man's backyard. It sparks a chance for redemption. This is Jules. We need a crosswalk on Trent Avenue between Frost and Allegheny. And also... Oh my. A UFO has crashed in my backyard, has taken out my azaleas, and destroyed my birdbath. When you talk like that, it makes them all take us less seriously. Did you just say UFO? Oh, goodness. What is that? Remember the spaceship? This is the little man who came out of it. He's got to be a secret. Don't tell anybody starring Academy Award winner Ben Kingsley as Milton Robinson, an elderly man in Boonton, Pennsylvania, who spends a lot of his time attending the local commission meetings to advocate for a new town slogan and a safer crosswalk. Other than that, he spends his days at home tending to his beloved bed of azaleas. Zoe Winters plays his daughter Denise, a local veterinarian who stops by every few days to make sure everything is okay. She feels he is starting to exhibit signs of dementia after she notices some things are off, like when she finds a can of beans in the bathroom medicine cabinet. Milton is also estranged from his son, who has moved across the country and has a strange relationship with him. One day, a flying saucer lands in Milton's backyard, and he is greeted by an alien who never speaks, but can show he is listening through eye contact. When Milton lets the commission know of this... He is disregarded by everyone except two other retirees in town. Sandy, played by Harriet Sansom Harris, and Joyce, played by the great Jane Curtin. Together, the three make emotional connections with the alien they call Jules, and do what they can to get him back to his home planet before the U.S. government catches up with them. When I saw the trailer for this, I thought this would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See it. This was a nice little movie. It had elements of films like E.T. and Cocoon, and Kingsley is excellent in this role. It gives him a chance to show how versatile he is as an actor. The story itself is kind of slight, and like the previous film I reviewed, it seemed to be a bit underwritten. Either that or entire scenes have been edited out. There were times where the script would set up an event happening or imply that someone was going to come into the story, but then it never happened. At just over an hour and 20 minutes, I think the film could have benefited from just a little bit more closure on some of these open storylines. But overall, it's a cute film, and I think older people would enjoy it. If you're looking for a nice time at the movies, this could be one that you go see. Otherwise, wait for streaming on this one, too. So that's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Last Voyage of the Demeter is in theaters now and is a shove-it. The Pod Generation is in theaters now and is a shove-it. And Jules is in theaters now and is a see-it. If I'm being honest, I wasn't really wowed by anything this week, so I don't really have a pick of the week. But if I had to choose one to see again, I'd pick Jules. Now it's time for the segment where I let you know the latest titles, now available for home viewing. This is Now Streaming. Brendan Fraser's Oscar-winning performance in The Whale can now be seen on Showtime. He is great in the film, as is Hong Chao, who received an Oscar nomination as well. But the film overall was not as enjoyable as I had hoped. To hear my full review, listen to episode 49. Russell Crowe stars as The Pope's Exorcist, a film that should have been creepier than it was. It is coming to Netflix on Wednesday this week, and to hear my full review listen to episode 75. And Shailene Woodley stars in To Catch a Killer, a whodunit film that had a lot of potential throughout, but kind of fell off the rails toward the end. It is coming to Hulu on Saturday, and you can hear my mini Quick Pick review on episode 76. (laughs) Now it's time for Be Kind Rewind when we look back at the films from the past. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a black-and-white film. And as I'm writing this, I realized I forgot to put the choices out for a vote. It was a very hectic week, apparently. So instead, I'm going to choose this week's film, out of the following choices Ed Wood She's Gotta Have It and Paper Moon I choose Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It Nola was something special She had this amazing effect on men. Please baby, please baby, please baby, 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 please Good night Good night? Wait, wait, wait a minute Is Jamie there? I was the best thing that ever happened to Nola, darling Ask her, she'll tell you that herself Well, she worshipped me I've never seen anybody who to look at themselves more than you do. Don't you ever get tired? Never happened, baby. <laughs> stop, stop, Nola, stop, stop. <laughs> Nola knew what she wanted. And she's gotta have it. In She's Gotta Have It, Tracy Camilla Johns plays Nola Darling, a young black woman in Brooklyn who is bucking tradition and dating three men at the same time. Lucky her. The three men are Jamie Overstreet, played by Tommy Redford Hicks, Greer Childs, played by John Canada Terrell, and Mars Blackman, played by the film's director, Spike Lee. Jamie is the controlling type who believes in traditional patriarchal stereotypes, Greer is a conceited and wealthy model, and Mars is an immature jokester who needs to grow up. Each of the suitors know that... The others exist, and they begin to let their jealousy take over the situation, eventually forcing Nola to decide on which one she wants to date exclusively. The film marks Spike Lee's debut feature film and is shot entirely in black and white. He was inspired to make the film after having many conversations with his male friends who boasted all about their different partners and sexual conquests. He decided to explore flipping the script and seeing what it would be like if a woman lived her life with such sexual exuberance. When writing the script, he asked the women in his life to answer a questionnaire with personal questions about their sexual habits and desires and use their answers as the basis for his script. He completed filming in just 12 days and on a budget of only $18,000. When it came time to shop the film for distribution, there was no money to market and release it. Lee showed a rough cut of the film to an audience at NYU and told the audience afterward that if they liked the film, he would be contacting them for financial support to get it released. Eventually, the film got a budget of $175,000, which was enough to secure a release, where it ended up turning a profit with a gross of $7.1 million. The film received positive reviews, with some wondering how much a proper budget would have made it even better and it garnered Lee several awards and notices that helped launch him into the Academy Award winner he is today. In 2016, Netflix turned the film into a series that lasted for two seasons. The film is available to watch on Netflix. Next week's Behind Rewind topic is a sequel, and I thought it would be fun to discuss some of the worst or most disappointing of all time. So, your choices are Jaws the Revenge, Speed 2 Cruise Control, and Teen Wolf 2. Come to my Instagram at see it, or shove it to vote for which film I should focus on, and I promise you I will post the pictures for you to vote on. The post with the most likes will be next week's segment. Now let's move on to Binge It or Singit. It. A talented chef is brought back to his hometown to take over a family restaurant after his brother commits suicide. This is the bear. We want to change this restaurant, right? I'm but we have to change the chemistry. Chicago. I mean, why are you always like watching me? Cause it's just sort of my job. We're the chili flakes. Cousin it organizes, it's more confusing. Right there. Labeled chili flakes. This is a delicate ecosystem, and it's held together by a shared history and love. I have every intention of turning this into a respectable place of business. Eventually. Time to try the new sandwiches. Yo, this shit looks different. What do you think? It's redundant and white, just like you. <laughs> in this series on FX, Jeremy Allen White plays Carmi Berzato, a chef who has escaped his working-class upbringing to enjoy success in the fine dining world. His life is upended when his brother Mikey, played by John Barenthal, commits suicide and Carmi is forced to return home to run his family's sandwich shop the original beef of Chicagoland. Completely out of his element, Carmi takes time to adjust to the grinding pace of running this place while facing the resistance of a staff who doesn't give a shit that he comes from the fine dining world. Also complicating matters is Richie, Mikey's best friend who leads the charge of resistance when Carmi tries to modernize the restaurant to make it more refined. Helping with these changes is Sidney Adamu, played by Ayo Edibiri. Sydney is a trained chef out of the Culinary Institute of America who has the training but not the experience at running a kitchen. Together, they try to transition the shop to a more elegant dining experience. When it comes to his family, Carmi grapples with the aftereffects of his brother's suicide and how it impacted him and his sister, Natalie, played by Abby Elliott. Nominated for 13 Emmys in the comedy categories, this series is quite dark in tone, which makes me wonder... How the hell is this considered a comedy at the award shows? This has about as much comedy in it as Schindler's List did. It is extremely emotional and gripping, and for the life of me, I cannot understand the category placements other than it is a half-hour series, and they feel that every half-hour series must be a comedy? I have no idea. Regardless, this show is fantastic. Since it does consist of half-hour episodes, it is easy to binge your way through each season in a few days. I was able to watch each of the two seasons over the course of a couple days. And as dark as season one is, season two goes even darker. There's one episode that flashes back to a family gathering, and the treasure trove of stars that play family members is wonderful. Especially a recent Oscar winner who has a pivotal role within the family. This person is incredible in the character's manic state. The show is a definite binge-it, and both seasons can be streamed on Hulu. So that's it for this episode of See it or Shove It. Thank you so much for listening this week. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can drop me a line at theatershoveit at gmail.com, and follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at theatershoveit. I'm in the process of putting the finishing touches on our final episode of our summer miniseries, 50 Years, 50 Movies. So be on the lookout for that in the next week or two. And come back next week to hear my thoughts on all the new releases, including the Naughty Dog story, Strays, and DC's latest Blue Beetle. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great week. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music, all rights reserved.